You guys, last year, my uh, my mom, Carol, came up for a visit. If you know my mom, you know that she's uh, she's got a great sense of humor. She's a really great lady, and uh, and we love having her visit. We always have a lot of fun, and she's a really great cook, and so we eat like kings every time she visits. Now, on her last visit to Fort McMurray, mom went out to get groceries, and me and Adrian were just sitting in the living room watching TV, when all of a sudden we heard this loud thud, and the house kind of shook. And the lights on the ceiling started to sway. And we're like, what? Another earthquake? No, we didn't think it was an earthquake. I ran outside only to discover that my mom had backed her Toyota Highlander into the house. Like, she ran into the house. Uh, I, she said she was using her rearview mirrors. I don't know how you missed the house in the rearview mirrors. But she hit our house. And her car was banged up a bit, but our house survived. We were okay. And every once in a while, my mom likes to tell me, you know, remind me, say, Lucas, I'm a good driver. And I like to remind her about that time she ran into my house. Now, mom, I know you're watching this morning, and so you're probably typing in, he's a liar, into the chat right now. I know you think you're a good driver, but the dents and the beats and the cracks in your car tell a different story. Okay, that's, that's that. You and I, we can say we believe something. But what if what we believe isn't really represented in the way we act? You know, this happens in a way that really drives me crazy and allow me to rant for just a second. Uh, but it, it drives me crazy how these Hollywood celebrities, okay, Lucas is getting up on a pedestal here, a little, we're going to rant, how they rail against the oil sands. How they hate Fort McMurray so much. And they think this place is destroying the world. And, 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 and they're all about this climate change. And then you discover that they don't really believe it. They don't really care. Because if they did, they wouldn't be on their gas-guzzling yachts in the Mediterranean or flying around their private jets everywhere if they really believed in climate change. And climate change and, and world care and creation care are something we should seriously consider as part of our Christian faith. But if they really believed, they'd get rid of the private jets and the yachts, right? Their actions show us they don't have real conviction about their beliefs. Now, it's easy to look across the aisle at other people and see this sort of hypocrisy, right? We see, it's easy for us to point it out in other people, especially people far away that we don't know personally. Now, it's a whole other thing. Look in the mirror and examine yourself. And try to see the ways we live without representing our values. And see the places where we don't practice what we preach. Christians are not immune to the disparity between what we believe and what our actions say about what we believe. And that's why today we're starting a brand new series called Christian Atheists, based on a book, a series by Craig Rochelle, which is available for purchase in the lobby if you're interested. Christian and atheist are two words that shouldn't go together, right? They're incompatible. They don't belong together. And Christians believe that Jesus is the king of the universe, and Jesus has invited us into his kingdom work. And atheists believe there is no king. There is no God, they're incompatible viewpoints. So what do I mean when I say the term Christian atheist? It's quite simple. A Christian atheist is someone who believes in God, 
that lives like God doesn't exist. And this can be a major problem in our lives and in our churches, and it sneaks up on us. Now, nobody wakes up, no Christian wakes up one day and says, I'm going to become a Christian atheist today. No, it's a slow thing. It just slowly and quietly creeps into our lives. This morning, I want you to just ask yourself, is there a time, this is a real question, a real question for you to think about, is there a time in your life where you felt closer to God than you do right now? Your values, your actions, does your life reflect what you believe about God and about faith? Has Christian atheism found a small foothold in your life? These are important questions. And so over the next few weeks together, as we work through this message series, we're going to talk about it. We're going to dive into it, about how, uh, how you can believe in God and maybe not really even know him about how you can believe in God, but you aren't really sure if he loves you. About how you can believe in God, but not believe in prayer. Or you can believe in God and yet still pursue happiness at any cost. About how you can believe in God, but not share your faith with others. Before we dive into this this morning, I just want to take a moment to pray for us. So let's pray. Jesus, I pray this morning for this room, for those of us who are participating in this service, that, Jesus, you would speak clear to each one of us, that you would shine a light on our hearts, that you would help illuminate areas where you want to work in our hearts and in our lives. In the Spirit of God, we just invite you into this process. Lead us, guide us. Take control of this service. pray this in your name. Amen. There's a group of people in the Gospels. The Gospels are the four uh, accounts of the life of Jesus at the beginning of the New Testament. It's kind of the first-hand accounts of his life. Uh, And there's this group of people in the Gospel accounts of the life of Jesus uh, that kind of fall into this category of Christian atheists. Now, they weren't Christians, but we'll put it together uh, and it'll make sense. It's people who had faith but their faith wasn't reflected in the way they lived their lives. They were very vocal about what they believed, but very often what they believed wasn't reflected in what they did. It was the Pharisees. Now, the Pharisees in Scripture are the religious elite of the day, uh, of the days of Jesus. They they knew the Scripture better than anyone else, right? They they devoted their lives to the Scripture. They could tell you all the 600-plus written and oral laws of Judaism. They knew them all. They would brag about how good they were at keeping those laws. And they wore distinctive clothing even to set themselves apart, to show that they were holier than everybody else, right? They were the Pharisees. And for a Pharisee, it was more important to follow the, uh, the, the law of Moses, the law of God, than anything else. It was what they, uh, what they focused on all the time. And you'd think this group of religious elite people, right, who knew the scripture better than anybody else would be the first group that Jesus would partner with in his ministry, right? They had the resources, they had the finances, they had the know-how. They were the right people for Jesus to partner with in his ministry, but that's not what happened. Jesus consistently challenged and rebuked the Pharisees more than any other group. He saw right through their religious facade. And he saw their hardened hearts. 
They loved the law, but not their neighbors. They held others to impossible standards, but they gave themselves an out. They were faking it. This really bothered Jesus. And just listen to what Jesus says to the Pharisees in Matthew 23. What sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, beautiful on the outside, but filled on the inside with dead people's bones and all sorts of impurity. Outwardly, you look like righteous people, but inwardly, your hearts are filled with hypocrisy and lawlessness. Guys, I thought Jesus was supposed to be nice, right? This is hard teaching. This is, this is serious business. Jesus had no time for the hypocrisy and dishonesty of the Pharisees, and he regularly called them out for it. Jesus was only in, interested in the sort of faith that transforms people's lives. The sort of faith that begins in belief and takes root in the heart and ends up in the hands and feet of the followers. Matthew was one of Jesus' disciples. Uh, he had a front row seat to the life and ministry of Jesus. Uh, Jesus was his close friend. Jesus was his leader. Jesus, Matthew saw Jesus heal the sick and give sight to the blind. He saw him touch the untouchable and love the unlovable. And we know these things because Matthew wrote them down for us. The first book in the New Testament, the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew wrote it because he knew what he had witnessed in his life was important for other people to know. And alongside these stories of miraculous healings and walking on water and, and resurrection of Jesus from the dead, along all these stories, time and time again, Matthew captures Jesus' disdain for the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. Let me give you another example from the book of Matthew. Uh, Jesus is in Jerusalem, uh, which is the religious center of Judaism. Uh, it's only days before Jesus is going to be led up the hill of Calvary, right? He's only got a little bit of time left, a few days to get his teachings into his, his disciples. He knows the crowds are turning on him. He knows the week will not end well for him. And with only a few days till his death, Jesus takes a moment to correct the Pharisees, again, the ones whose actions don't reflect their beliefs. Jesus says to the Pharisee, but what do you think about this? He gives them a story, a hypothetical. A man with two sons told the older boy, son, go out and work in the vineyard today. And the son answered, no, I won't go. But later he changed his mind and went away. Then the father told the other son, you go. And he said, yes, sir, I will. But he didn't go. Which of the two obeyed his father? What do you guys think? I think we maybe accidentally put the answer on the screen for you, didn't we? The first, the one who said no but obeyed anyways. And then Jesus gets mean again. Then Jesus explained his meaning. I tell you the truth, corrupt tax collectors and prostitutes will get into the kingdom of God before you do. For John the Baptist came and showed you the right way to live, but you didn't believe him. And while tax collectors and prostitutes did, and even when you saw this happening, you refused to believe him and repent of your sins. You said yes with your mouth, but did nothing with your life. It's easy for us to pile on the Pharisees. They end up sometimes looking like the bad guys of the Gospels. That's not always true. 
It's easy to see their hypocrisy, though. It's easy for us to see their failures. But the truth is, we need to take a step back. And we need to ask ourselves these questions. In what way am I similar to these Pharisees? Is what I believe about Jesus, has it transformed the way I live? Has it changed who I am on the inside? Has it changed who I am on the outside? Does what I believe about Jesus, is it reflected in the way I live? Now, I've been part of this church for today for a really, really long time. Uh, I became uh, a Jesus follower upstairs in Kid City when I was just a kid. Uh, I lifted my hands in worship right over there where Linda is sitting for the very first time. Put my hands up in worship. I thought my, my parents probably had, what's going on with this kid, right? I was baptized here by Pastor Jim when I was 14. And I started leading worship then too. I mean, guys, I was 14. I was working at Dairy Queen. And almost every shift, I would invite my coworkers at Dairy Queen to come to church with me. Like, I was that kind of weird kid. I was a model Christian. I was a good Christian. And when I was 19, I got hired as a firefighter paramedic, and uh, it was a great job. And at the fire hall, this sort, there's this sort of tradition where on the, the new guy, on his very first short change, uh, the whole crew goes out to the bar, and the new guy has to pay for everyone's drinks. If you've met firefighters, one thing they're good at is putting out fires. Another thing they're good at is drinking, right? It's a very, it was a very expensive tradition for a new person. And so there I was on my first short change at the fire hall, and the chief came into the room and he said, hey, Lucas, we're going to Patty's tonight. Make sure to bring your wallet. And I looked at the chief and I said, oh, it should be cheap because, chief, I don't drink. At the time, I didn't drink anything. And he looked at me like I was an idiot. He looked at me like I was an alien, like what I said was completely unreasonable. And he looked at me and said, Lucas, I can't trust a man who doesn't drink, right? Serious words. The next few years, I began a wandering journey away from Jesus. I went from not drinking ever to drinking almost every short change. I had to earn the chief's trust. I was trying hard. I began to live a life where I'd be focused was to give in to the life of excess and pleasure. The passionate faith of my youth no longer existed. I made a lot of bad decisions, stuff that I wish I could take back. And I didn't treat my family with the care it deserved. I didn't treat my marriage with the respect it deserved. And I walked up to every line that a husband and father should not cross. And I flirted with every single line. You know, it's crazy. This whole period of my life, this was years. This whole period of my life where I was walking away from Jesus, I was leading worship at this church almost every single weekend. I continued to show up every single Sunday and volunteer. And looking back now, it's clear to me, I know what happened. I became a Christian atheist. I believed in God, but I lived like he didn't exist. When the church hired Doug back in 20, 
12, the very first thing that he did when he showed up here was he's looking for good people to count on, right? People he can partner with to help advance the mission of the church. And he, I remember he told me one time about that somebody, he had asked somebody, what about Lucas? What about Lucas? Right? Can, is he somebody I can, can count on? And, and at that time, my reputation as a Christian atheist was well known by the church and by the, the staff and by the board members. And they told him, no, don't, don't invest in Lucas. He's too far gone. He's not somebody you want on your team. I am eternally grateful to Doug that he ignored that advice. He found me in a ditch. He lifted me up and he dusted me off. He gave me a seat at the table and he helped me to find my faith again. Becoming a Christian atheist doesn't happen overnight. It's a slow fade. It's one compromise after another. Until you get to the point where you believe in God, but you end up living like he doesn't exist. And let me tell you from experience, that is just no way to live. See, when it comes to this whole Christianity thing, the belief, what you believe, the believing part is important. It's essential. We shouldn't talk bad about believing what you believe is important. It's right there in the most famous verse in all of the Bible. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him should, will not perish but have eternal life. Or it's what Paul said to the, his jailer in Acts 16. He said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Or the famous poem that John wrote about his friend Jesus, but to all who believed and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. Believing is essential. Believing is important. But when it comes to the Christian faith, belief is at the beginning. And then faith is in the following. When it comes to the Christian faith, if you openly declare that Jesus is your Lord and accept him as your leader, then you are in. You are part of the team. You get all the benefits. You're a lifetime member. You're adopted into the family of God. Belief is in the beginning. But then faith is in the following. Faith is in following the Jesus way day in, day out hour by hour, minute by minute, to daily, and in each moment, trust him with your life, with your family, with your kids and your friends and your work. Trust him with your finances. Trust him with your health. Believing in God and living like he exists. Jesus had a brother named James. And the only place that James shows up in the Gospels, that's the accounts of the life of Jesus, the only place that James shows up in the Gospels is to talk about what a lunatic he thinks his brother Jesus is. James, the brother of Jesus, was not a Jesus follower. He was not even a Jesus fan. He was embarrassed of his brother Jesus. Jesus wasn't his Lord and Savior. Jesus was his misguided brother and self-inflated lunatic brother. Something happened, though, in James's story. James knew his brother died on a cross. James knew where his brother had been buried. And when the resurrected Jesus walked into the room, James discovered something about his brother that he had not known before. 
that day James became, became a Jesus follower. And James wrote one book in your Bible. It's five chapters long. It's a really good read if you're interested in it. Uh, as he, he wrote it. He became a very important leader in the church after the death and resurrection of Jesus. And, and in his book that he wrote, James 1.1, 1, 1, the very first verse says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. My name is James and my brother is my Lord. This is a serious question. What would it take for your sibling to convince you that they were your Lord? They couldn't do it. Definitely mine couldn't do it. It's amazing. James is convinced. Something has happened that has convinced him of his brother's lordship in his life. And James was, ended up being a lot like his brother, Jesus. James had very little time for people who lived like God didn't exist, but proclaimed to have faith in him. He knew faith came from making a decision to believe in your head, letting it take root in your heart, and that faith, that faith and belief in Jesus was represented by the work of your hands. What you do in front of others, how you live matters. This is what James had to say about Christian atheists. He's a little bit harsh like his brother Jesus. You say you have faith, for you believe that there is one God. Good for you. Even the demons believe this, and they tremble in terror. How foolish. Can't you see that faith without good deeds is useless? Can't you see that believing and not living like you believe is pointless? Now, here's the thing. This is where James kind of gets into trouble a little bit, and we maybe misread or misinterpret him. And good deeds don't get you into God's good graces. That's a gift that he will give to anyone and everyone, anybody who comes to him and says, Jesus, I need your forgiveness. Anybody, no matter who you are, where you've come from, you come to Jesus, he gives it to you for free. You may not deserve it, but he gives it away for free. But our good life, our good deeds, the lives that we live, our actions in front of others, and the reputations that we develop as Christians, those are supposed to be evidence of that grace. We don't earn the grace through our good deeds. They are evidence of God's faith at work in our hearts. So, what is the evidence of a transformed heart? What does it look like to believe in God? and to live like he exists. And there's lots of great advice in your Bibles about this, especially in the New Testament if you're reading. Things like love your neighbor, be generous with those who have less than you, forgive those who hurt you, pray for those who persecute you. These are all ways that we show evidence through our lives that we have received the grace of God. But one of my favorite descriptions of what it looks like to believe in Jesus and to live like he exists come from Galatians 5. You probably will recognize this if you've been around a while. Paul writes to the church, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. This is the evidence of someone who lives like Jesus is who Jesus says he was. 
We submit our lives to Christ and we let his spirit empower us to lead lives full of the fruit of the spirit. So you love others, even the ones who are hard to love. You know supernatural joy, even in the face of deep sorrow and hardship. You experience peace that's sort of unexplainable. You're patient with those who frustrate you. You're kind to those who don't deserve your kindness. You're good even when it's easier to be bad. You're faithful and trustworthy. You're gentle with the broken. And you know self-control in the face of temptation. Ask yourself, are these things that your life is marked by? If, so, if, you, if you asked the people you work with and the, or the people you go to school with or the people that you spend time with, hey, how patient am I? How joyful am I? How gentle am I? Are these things that mark your life? And sure, if you're good, you've got a couple of those, but I guarantee you there's somewhere we, each one of us struggles with each, with each one of these things. Are there ways that you have believed in Jesus but have decided to live like he doesn't, exist. As I close this morning, I want to pray for us, that God would search our hearts, that the Holy Spirit would shine a light on our souls and show us where we have begin to, begun to drift towards Christian atheism just a little bit. And after I pray for us, I'm going to put a prayer, a group prayer up on the screen, a prayer for us to pray together if you'd like. It's an invitation for God the Father to work fresh in your life today. It's an invitation to help you follow Jesus with new and renewed passion. And it's an invitation for the Holy Spirit to empower you to live a life full of the fruit of the Spirit, to believe in God, to live like He exists. So let me pray for us, and then in a moment, we're gonna, I'm going to put the prayer up, and if you'd like, you can pray along with me. So let's pray together. Jesus, Thank you for each person here today. I thank you for the families and the friends and the lives represented in this room right now. And I thank you for each person and what they bring to this community and what they bring to each other. And Jesus, I just pray right now that even as we go all along our lives and life gets busy and life gets crazy, our schedules get filled up with so much stuff. Jesus, I invite you now just to shine a light on our hearts. And reveal to us the places in which we've begun to drift. And places where we've begun to profess believing and knowing you with our mouths. But then at work, living like you don't exist. Then at school, living like we don't know you. Then with our friends, never revealing the true nature of our hearts. That we know you and we love you. Jesus, we invite you to shine a light on those places. And we know we don't have power to fix it on our own. So we invite you, Holy Spirit, empower us to become the people you created us to be. Give us faith. And may our lives overflow with the fruit of the Spirit. I pray this in your holy names. In the name of Jesus, amen. So if you'd like, we're going to put this prayer up on the screen now. And it's just simple. It's just an invitation for God to work in your life, to reveal to you maybe where you have walked away, where you've drifted a little bit, that slow fade has been happening. 
It's an invitation for him to work in you, to draw him back to yourself, to give you his power to live a life full of the fruit of the Spirit. So if you'd like, I encourage you, you can pray this out loud with me now. Jesus, I know I don't always live the way you want me to. I'm sorry for all the ways I fall short. Open my eyes to see where you want to change me. Open my ears to hear your voice to lead me. By your Spirit, help me to live for you and for my life to reflect your love and goodness. Amen.